What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Once again, my name is Dave Brown, and today is Monday Rewind. Monday Rewind is where we go back in history and we pull one of our top podcast episodes over the last three years and bring them to you in a condensed format that focuses on our guests' wisdom, knowledge, insight, and lessons. And we bring them to you in a short little snippet that's usually about 10 to 20 minutes in length. And today we are rewinding back to episode number 158 with Krista Kairou. Krista shared her story of being sold into sex trafficking by her husband. She shared how her husband abused her and caused an accident that paralyzed Krista while she was pregnant as a result of a sexual assault. Krista talked openly about her struggles and how she found the strength to escape that terrible situation. And in this short snippet of Monday Rewind, uh, we highlight that interview. We share clips of some of Krista's story and some of the advice that she has for anyone faced with an overwhelming situation. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Krista Kairou. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Um, in conjunction like that arrest warrant, but I can see, and it's frustrating for a parent to have all these things and then say to their child, but when you're 18, you don't look at your parents as wise necessarily. You look at them as obstacles um, to your, to your dreams and trying to hold you back. And why are you holding me back? I just want to be me. Don't micromanage me. Like, let me be, you think, you know, everything. And the more a parent digs in and pushes back and says, honey, you know, you're still so young, boom, you're, you're gone. And there's just no right answer or wrong answer for a parent to be able to got you're going to do what you want to do at 18 19 Absolutely. you're gone yeah so that must have been rough for your parents to, to have to let you go and support you at the same time but yeah carry on We're, we'll stop you know along the way and, and break that down yeah. yeah so once I moved down there I had this life envisioned where we were going to get married at some point you know he talked about oh man, I could spend the rest of my life with you. You're just so perfect. You up and moved everything for me. Um, I got established as a nursing assistant in New Mexico because that was kind of like the career that I had up in Iowa. I had a nursing certification or a a nurse's aid certification. Um, So I got established with a hospital down there. And within a couple months, he got me talked into, um, sleeping with other people to supplement our income because the good job that he once had working on the road, working on the wind turbines, he was laid off from, um, and when he brought this to my attention, I, I brushed it off like, okay, I'll give it some attention, but I'll just acknowledge it and move on and and he won't bring it up again. Because how often do we, even with my now husband, when he says, we should do this, I'll be like, okay. And then he doesn't bring it up again. Right. This is just a, it's just a thought. So that was my thought process was, it's like the stupidest, grossest thing I've ever heard, but I'm going to let you think about it and then we'll move on from it. But he didn't move on from it. In fact, he brought it up more frequently. Um. The first time it ever happened, I I just felt so bad and so gross 
and I allowed it to happen. Um, you know, I could have said no. He didn't force me to do it. And I learned throughout like years of counseling that it was coercion. Mm-hmm. But I spent a really good chunk of time believing that it was my fault because I could have walked away from it. I could have broken up with him. I very well could have had that right. But reflecting back, I was not emotionally or mentally in control of the situation. Um, and once it happened once, I thought it was going to be a one-time thing. And then it wasn't a one-time thing. It became once a month and then once a week and then every day. And then one person and then a few people and then like hundreds of people. Wow. And I can see you still struggling with that right there. You know, when you, when you go back and again, it is very difficult for somebody to listen to this. If you have not experienced such a similar thing um, or to some degree of it, some caliber of that. So one of the things that he always used against me was, well, this is why my marriage didn't work. And so I was kind of like, I'll be the one to, to fix, to fix it. Or I'll be like, I just wanted to, I wanted so badly for him to be the person that I thought he was in the first August four months. I wanted so badly for him to be that person that I thought he was. And it, um, progressed very rapidly. And once it did, you know, I was working 16 hour shifts at the hospital. Um, and for that reason, I mean, we did financially, financially, we did need the money for me to work extra, but I thought the more I worked, the less it would make me available. Um, but then that wasn't, it, it wasn't the case. I would come home from work, uh, working six in the morning to 11 at night. And he would have somebody just sitting there waiting, ready to go. So you would walk in the door after working all those hours. Hi, honey. I'm home. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I got something for you to do. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yep. So, (laughs) and I just remember being exhausted and I found through therapy that again, I'm very much not in control of that situation because that is a mentality of somebody that just wants to survive. That's barely surviving mentally, emotionally. And so I just did what I needed to do. And he, at that point had never put his hands on me. Um, but he was very, mean with his words. And I'm, I'm a very thin skinned person to begin with. Um, and I take a lot of things personally. So all it would take is for him to call me a nasty name or to tell me that I was fat or to tell me that, um, I should just move back home to live in my hick town or something like that. And that just, I, I just, 
it would devastate me. And I didn't want to be that person like, no, I can, I, I can do better, but I wanted to fix him. Like I knew that he had a temper and I knew that what was happening wasn't right. I just wanted to fix it. Um, and so the longer it went on, uh, it went on for a couple of years and I'll tell this story. I, I got pregnant in 2011, no, 2009. Sorry. It's like a established this timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Four years of a blur. So I got pregnant. Um, I had my son and I mean, you know, as a mom, you, you have the healing process six weeks after you give birth to a baby. Um, he had me with somebody within a week. And this man that he had me um, sleep with was like actually very nice. You know, he could pick up on all the nonverbal cues and he could tell that what was happening was painful. And I, you know, I started crying and and I said, I'm sorry, I just had a baby. And he said, yo, bro, like I can't, I didn't know she just had a baby. I didn't know these things about your girl, like, I, I can't do this to her. And my ex got so angry and was like, no, she's fine. She's fine. And then when he said, no, I, I can't, I can't do this to her. He said, you fucking ruin everything. Why do you ruin everything? And I said, I'm sorry. I was trying not to cry. And I should I shouldn't have apologized to him. I shouldn't have been sorry, but I said, I'm so sorry. Cause I just did it. I, I didn't want it to be my fault. Um, and that was like really the breaking point when I realized that what was happening was going to like kill me if I continued it. Um, and so I kind of started formulating plans to move back home. And that's when he started throwing things in my face that I was going to be a single mom, um, that no one was going to want me raising a baby by myself. And like, I had gained weight from this pregnancy that, that I was fat, you know, again, that's, that was like the main, the main thing that I was going to be this fat single mom. Um, and looking back, I mean, we all, we all know single parents. Like I was a single parent, you know, um, you ended up being a single parent and it's yeah. like, it, that shouldn't have been my reason to stay, but for some reason it was, um, and I ended up staying and then I ended up getting into a motorcycle accident. Um, and I broke my neck and became a quadriplegic. So not only was I with this guy that was emotionally abusive to me than I sustained a spinal cord injury. And then it was even harder for me to get away from him because like I couldn't walk (laughs) Um, and I had a baby, like a, a new baby. I want to touch on something again that you and I had spoken about before, because even now as you're sharing this story, you could tell at some points, um, you know, you, you get kind of pulled back and, 
and it gets hard for you to talk about. And then at other points, you're able to to just go on and ramble like this happened, that happened. And there can be a misperception. Uh, and I want to give you a chance to, to talk about it. I want to give our community even a chance to, to hear this because it's a whole other aspect that a lot of people don't think about. And even you just saying, you know that it's important to share your story because you could be doing other people a service. It, while you're up here and you're very well-spoken and you're sharing this story, it is not necessarily an easy thing to do or an easy uh, trait to develop. And you're able to do that um, almost matter-of-factly in some points, but that doesn't mean it's not so you know, hard for you. When you come off of an interview, when you come off of an interview like this in for instance, do you need like a recovery time? Do you need to kind of go back and transition back into life before you like, go grab your kids and your, your mom again? Like, do you need to kind of just say, okay, that's over and, and go back? How do you get through that? What are some things that you do to kind of psych yourself up to take yourself back to that place and then to get back out of it so that you can move on? Because there's going to be a lot of people who are, are also thinking that they should share their stories, but can't just go into it thinking you're going to share your story and come out and it's going to be okay you have to develop so mechanisms I've realized over the past few months that the more I talk about it the more therapeutic it is um the very first podcast I ever did um I kind of left that podcast like okay cool I did a good job and then that night I was just so angry at at my ex um but I found myself trying to repress emotions and telling myself that they were wrong, that my feelings were wrong. Um, but then I started, I started to realize that I need to embrace the emotions that I have. Um, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Um, but when I get done talking about it, I make sure to spend more time with my kids because I wouldn't even have my kids if I would have given up so easily. Um, and I, especially my daughter, I have two sons and a daughter. My daughter's the youngest. Um, she's the one that I look at and I imagine her being a little me. And I just look at her, she doesn't realize it. I just look at her and I'm like, I will kill whoever tries to do this to you. Like, <laughs> and I keep telling myself, like, you need to raise her good. Not that my parents didn't raise me good because they raised me very well. But I'm like, I need to prevent this from happening to other people. I need to prevent it from happening to my baby. Yeah. Um, and that's where I get the most emotional is just like is right is just right there yeah I bet I bet and so what would be your your words to somebody who maybe somebody's listening to this who's going through something similar or something on another level that they feel trapped in anyway and just have no idea how to take that first step to stand up for themselves and and understand that it's okay to to stand up for yourself and that doesn't make you selfish or an asshole or whatever it is. But like, what would be your advice to somebody who is listening right now and and wants to change the situation and, and doesn't know how? So 
I would say you need to do what you need to do. So in my case, in order to survive my, my ex, I needed to, this is what they call the freeze response of PTSD. Um, in order to survive, I needed to keep my mouth shut, not argue with him. I needed to be secretive about what I was doing. Um, it's okay to do what you need to do to survive, but it's also okay to ask for help because for so long, um, I didn't listen to my brother who was a police officer. I didn't listen to my mom. I didn't listen to other police officers, um, because I didn't think that there was any helping me, especially once I was injured. Like, no, you don't understand because I'm paralyzed. No, people, people want to help. The majority of people are good and they want to help and it's okay to ask for help. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of Monday Rewind. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Make sure you listen to the full interview and story with Krista Kairou. That's episode number 158. You can also go to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. Check out the featured podcast episode of the week. If you got any value out of this show or any show that we've done in the past, all that we ask is that you please leave us a five-star written review on iTunes. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Don't forget, we also have our great American Syndicate. This is our community coalition of freedom-loving, patriotic Americans. We are committed to self family, community, and country. A big part of our mission and what we're doing is we're giving back uh, our, as a community. We give back to veterans, military, police, first responders, at-risk youth, and their families. So check it out. I'd love to see you inside greatamericansyndicate.com. Uh, appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. <music>